Hi, everybody. It's uh, Richard Zwicky with High on Healthy. And joining us today, we've got David Schwartz, who is a licensed psychotherapist from Illinois. Welcome aboard, David. Thanks so much for having me. So, David, you've been involved with psychotherapy for about 15 years and also working with the preparation of patients uh, with and integration of how they can use uh, psychedelic medicines to help them through their journeys towards mental health. Journeys for people becoming psychotherapists is one thing, but getting mm-hmm. let's come to that as a second part because it actually sure. builds backwards sometimes. It does, yeah. Um, my my personal use of psychedelics has been an important part of my life for a very long time. Um, was obviously influential in my choice to pursue this as a career. And it's certainly been informative and influential in my approach to therapy in general. Right. Um, throughout my career, there have been occasional instances um, where people have reported um, experiences that they've had with psychedelics, um, oftentimes, you know, unpleasant, difficult experiences that they've had, even with cannabis, um, especially in Illinois when cannabis was legalized however many years ago. Suddenly, you had a lot more new users of cannabis without a lot of prior experience were getting into, you know, some trouble primarily because of edibles or vapes. It's another conversation. Um, So I I was doing some of this work sort of peripherally just as a matter of the people that you're going to encounter throughout careers as a psychotherapist. I've had been very pretty resistant to getting more involved with the whole psychedelic movement, um, primarily because of my skepticism about where a lot of this stuff is headed. Um, skepticism where it's headed or skepticism originally about the benefits? Because, you know, a lot of people are concerned, you know, they hear the word and they think it's scary as opposed to investigating the true value. Well, I mean, it certainly can be scary and often anything can be. Yeah, right. No, I've never had any skepticism about the potential benefits of psychedelic medicine. My skepticism has more to do with the corporatization or the pharmacalization of psychedelic medicine. This sort of, you know, completely secular, completely capitalistic, completely Western approach to using psychedelic medicine. Um, that's what I'm skeptical about. Um, in addition to any number of people who claim to be some sort of proto-shaman and and that whole thing are also things that I'm deeply skeptical about. So I resisted getting more involved in this whole conversation for a long time. Um, but it just sort of kept coming around and kept coming back. And I kept realizing more and more that I actually have an awful lot to contribute. Um, I actually have an awful lot of, of experience. And right. I, and in comparison to a lot of the things that I've read and heard, I actually have a very nuanced and very reasonable perspective and approach to this whole thing. And um I think that that's a valuable and necessary contribution to make regarding this whole movement. Um, and so then I started being more comfortable, being more um, public about some of these issues and determining for myself where I wanted to get involved and also where my own limitations were going to be in terms of my involvement. 
Right. Interesting. And, you know, there's a couple of things there which uh, which struck me. I mean, the first comment, of course, was uh, with people diving in and not being well prepared. And that's, that's a huge risk. And you commented about some people doing that with cannabis and edibles and you know, I've I've seen people do that, and then they're afraid to go try again or go further because they didn't know what they were doing the first time. But it's really critical for people who are trying to use psychedelics for as part of their journey towards mental health um, to have somebody there who's safe, who also can guide them through the process, because it allows people to confront their fears, but without the right safety net around them, it can open up doors they're not ready for. How do you prepare people? Well, certainly thinking about somebody to act as a, somebody to watch over them is a good idea. Um, I don't specifically recommend that somebody has a facilitator, quote unquote, because again, the the person who bills themselves as the facilitator, I would be skeptical of. Right. Because who are you and what do you know? Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't if, if you're if you're traveling to the Amazon to have an ayahuasca ceremony with, you know, the indigenous shamans, yes, by all means, those are facilitators. You know, but someone with a social media presence who's presenting themselves as a shaman because they're 20 and from California and ate mushrooms a few times. Like, I I don't think that's necessarily in any way safe or in any way safer than somebody learning how to trip safely in the comfort of their own home. Right. So part of preparation is learning about how to approach these things in the safest way possible. And Probably the biggest um, issue regarding safety has to do with like dosage and expectation. Right. So certainly one of the things that somebody can talk about during a preparation phase is how to sort of introduce yourself to medicine in a way that won't be so immediately overwhelming and terrifying. Right. So and how do you walk people through that? Because... That's a that's a critical step. If they don't have a good experience, mm-hmm. it's going to do more harm than good, and they're going to create new fears and anxieties. Certainly, potentially. Um, one of the primary issues is access to medicine in the first place. Right. Right. So, yep. so that's sort of like the first obstacle is like, what do you have access to? Because you can't experiment freely. If with dosages, if you have a very limited, you know, supply of medicine, or if you can't access it, or if a uh, ketamine treatment, for example, is three hundred dollars, so accessibility to medicine determines a lot of what kind of experience somebody can have. Right now, let's. So sometimes it's easier to sort of think of a specific scenario. Okay. And if you have somebody who has no prior experience with psychedelics, even cannabis, and they want to have a full blown psychedelic trip on psilocybin mushrooms, I would not recommend that that person just take three and a half grams of mushrooms by themselves. Not at all. Yeah. In that case, I absolutely would think that having 
somebody else there with them, somebody who hopefully has some prior experience themselves with psychedelics is a really, really good idea. In fact, for that person, I might specifically encourage them to think about um, finding somebody who is a, a good version of the quote-unquote trip sitter. Somebody right. who knows that they're not there to be a facilitator of any kind. They're just there to hold space and make sure this person doesn't leave the safety of their own living room and get themselves into some real trouble. Yes. It might also encourage that person to to, to think about looking into some of these, um, you know, uh, retreat centers that are popping up more and more around the country. There are some excellent ones, not just around the country, but internationally. I, yeah. We've had people on from Jamaica and yeah. Costa Rica and other places that run very professional retreats that are, in some cases, very specifically designed for target audiences, people who have suffered certain abuses or traumas. Yeah, absolutely. And for many people to have the safety, not only of the sort of structure of that that facility provides but to also have the safety of a community of other people is something that's very appealing to them um i think an important part of preparation is also managing your expectations and and recognizing that this can't we can't guarantee safety no we can certainly facilitate it we can certainly mitigate against risks Uh but we can't guarantee safety so managing expectations is a huge part of the preparation process. And actually on that part of the pr- managing expectations is an important part of the, or a huge part of the process. The other part that's an incredible factor is when in the process of therapy is the right time to engage in psychedelic medicine. Because if somebody just comes in and hasn't started addressing any of their challenges, you don't know what you're targeting. Mm-hmm. Whereas somebody who's late through the process, sometimes knows what the trauma is, but can't get over things, but that is possibly caused them to take too long to get there. What do you recommend? Um, typically I am very rarely the person who brings it up. Yeah. Usually it's coming from that saying, Hey, I'm interested in exploring psychedelic medicine can you help right but when let's say if you if you have a patient you've been dealing that a new patient coming to you and saying i want to try this Mm -hmm. do you recommend okay or do you think to yourself you should do a month two months a few months or reach certain milestones in your self-awareness or in your journey before you engage in this part of the process yeah, I mean, I don't have a specific protocol in terms of a timeline, but I would say that like, you know, four to six sessions focusing on preparation and making sure that they're in the right place is sufficient to help them decide whether or not it's the right choice for them. Right. And that's something that I think is a really important thing to emphasize here is that I I will and I certainly have discouraged somebody from from pursuing psychedelics because right. for whatever reason that they're not really, they don't have the right expectations. They're, they're not really approaching it from the right mindset. Um, I don't think they're far enough along on other means of sort of learning to cope with their trauma and the fact right. that they might be exposing themselves to something very, very dangerous. 
I certainly have discouraged people from using it. But more than that, what's more important than that is honoring the individual's decision to do with their own consciousness what they think is best. Right. People who are not trained therapists have told me that that's a cop-out. Okay, I simply disagree. Right. I, I honor the individual. I honor the choices of my individual patients. I do not take ownership or responsibility for the choices that they make. That doesn't mean I don't offer my perspective and opinion, but my primary approach to being a therapist is sort of uplifting and empowering their individual sense of agency. Yes. And, you know, I think empowering the individual to accept and embrace the concept of I own me, which means I own my life, I control myself, and I'm responsible for myself is key. And it's not just key to the therapeutic process, it's cute key to succeeding throughout your life mm -hmm. and finding happiness. Absolutely. And as a Westerner, you know, I recognize that that's also part of the shamanistic tradition. Right. I think we think that when we travel down to South America, that we're going to be greeted with open arms and be like, oh, we're so happy. Oh, here. I got off the plane like 40 times in Peru and every time I got sprayed with this awareness, <laughs> it just happens. Right. Like, thank you. Thank you for coming. We're so excited to share this with you. That's not it at all. Yeah. Oftentimes it's, are you sure? I mean, if you want to, you can have some. Here you go. Yeah. Drink well, you want it's, you know, it's, uh, it's very culturally different and very, it's approached differently, but you know, people have different aspects and perspective on the purpose and the challenges we deal with and, you know, in the Western world and in the, you know, in the, not the Western world and North America and Europe, we have very different life challenges than people do in a lot of the developing worlds. And, uh, our challenges are no less important or severe. They're just different. Mm -hmm. And so the reason that we approach things or the manner in which we approach them also varies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that takes me back to something you said earlier, which was, Going back to the first bit about you, you're skeptical of pharma for what it'll do to the industry. And let me turn that around. One of the biggest challenges for cannabis and it, the, in, its inability to be fully accepted and embraced is because of the opposition of the pharmaceutical industry. Whereas because the pharmaceuticals understand how to work with single molecules, which is the process in psychedelics they've been embracing, which opens the door. Does that not increase the opportunity for access in the future? My primary concern with that is what will end up happening is there will be some pharmaceutical version of something like psilocybin yep. and it'll have some stupid name with a bunch of Z's and X's in it. Of course. And it hey, my name has Z's. I, like <laughs> I have three in my name. <laughs> I won, so I got it. Um, but what's going to end up happening is there are going to be some legal medications right. that contain psilocybin that, similar to microdosing psilocybin, won't produce um, intoxicating effects, yep. but will hopefully show some serious... Um, 
significant changes in, to, in terms of reducing things like depression and anxiety. But that's going to be the only thing that's authorized. It's going to be like, this is okay, but you're actually not allowed to trip. Right. That's what I worry about is what's going to end up happening. They're going to take the trip out of tripping and they're going to say, why do you need to trip when we have this medication that reduces anxiety, but most importantly, increases productivity? Now go back to work. Yeah. I mean, if it's just go back to work, it doesn't help you change your life, but it does reduce your anxiety, which hopefully allows you to start down the process. Yeah. But we don't, in our, in our medical model, we have no room for anything that might be considered sacred. Absolutely. Well, we also, you know, in the medical model, if we look at traditional medicine, you don't half set a broken arm. Right. Right. So we actually should push that treatments of for any mental health injury because really we're dealing with injuries not illnesses need mm -hmm. to be treated fully and properly so pushing those limits you know you can't handicap treatment because uh a partial solution is good enough well sure but you know that, 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 or, that, i'm saying like the farm that's part of the pushback the medical community has to have against the farm communities to go further to allow medical professionals to treat the injuries properly and fully. Yeah, but in order to do that, we need to really expand our definition of what it means to be healthy. Yep. And and we don't, in our sort of approach, we don't really have any room for anything that touches upon the soul, the metaphysical. Right. And that's what I worry about, is that this whole psychedelic thing is just going to become westernized medicalized pharmacized yes. and we're going to lose really what's really important and what's really fundamental to the healing that is available through psychedelic medicine which is something sacred yeah no it is and it's you know you it's compelling to think about it from the perspective of total healing and nowhere else in physical medicine for the body, do we look at partial solutions as being acceptable? So why would we look at it any different for mental solutions? Yeah. But again, it's, it's sort of like our approach is like, we then think that total healing means the absence of suffering. Right. If you're healed, you'll never hurt. And that's not the case. That's with not the case at all. Injuries, right? No, they, with, with the, the more healed you are, the more capacity you have to hurt. Right. You're open to experiencing that. And you're sort of internally strong enough to know that it's hopefully you can deal with it and you can right. take it, yeah. you can get through it. Yeah. Right. And that's, you know, fear is one of the most powerful emotions, but one of the most toxic as well, because it impinges our, it impinges every aspect of our life. It prevents us from finding love. Right. And so when, when, when we approach psychedelics, we in the West want to eliminate fear when in reality we need to be sort of increasing courage and recognizing that the fear is a part of it. Yeah. I want to have a profound life-changing experience. I just don't want it to be dangerous. Exactly. That's, that's not how it works. Yeah. No, I was, uh, it's funny, you know, it's people put limits on themselves because of fear. And the reality is you can never succeed if you don't fail along the way. 
but failing means you confront those fears and edge and push them forward mm -hmm. so that they are no longer boundaries. They're just steps you go through. Yeah. And with psychedelics and challenging the challenge, the, your demons, you're pushing those limits so that you can succeed. And you, primarily you're, you're expanding your capacity to experience all of these things instead of reducing the size of the injury. Yes, absolutely. You but know, that's not uh, our approach. Our approach is, you know, treat the symptom, get rid of the discomfort. If only there were a pill to induce euphoria, they'd put it in the drinking supply. Yeah, wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, I'll be happy and get nothing done because we wouldn't actually have the drive or fear of not succeeding. Well, more likely we'd all be so numbed out that we would just go about our That's... drone-like lives and serve, you know, the, the oligarchs who run this place. Kind well, of seems like even... that's already happening. Well, it's not even that. It's just a matter of we don't, we wouldn't actually embrace and live our lives or appreciate all the wonderful things around us. And it doesn't, you know, happiness doesn't come out of a dollar bill. It certainly does not. It comes out from of fostering connections with people, of exploring your own and expressing your own internal voice and creativity, of experiencing and enjoying the the simple pleasures, the the the, the beauty of the natural world, things that are much more common and you know much more a part of uh, many of the cultures in which psychedelic medicines come from. That's right, you know, because I mean, there's a recognition on, in many cultures that, you know, it's the it's the community around you and the love you can build around you that is what adds the value, not the the dollar. But, you know, going back a little bit on that, that's part of the challenge that anybody has to deal with in terms of the mental health challenge that people go to see a therapist for is the expectations or the belief of people that they don't meet expectations because of societal uh, attitudes. And, you know, for you as a psychotherapist who's working in Chicago, uh, which of course has its own challenges um, along the way, as people come to you for uh, addressing some of these challenges, what are the right things or the most effective areas you're finding? What sort of conditions or challenges do people respond best to for psychedelic approaches? Um, primarily like that sort of existential depression or anxiety about the future, the state of their lives. Right. Primarily. And why is that? Well, I mean, I think because it offers that vastly expanded perspective and helps contextualize a lot of the messages that we receive from society, parents, teachers, things like this. I remember in first grade, the teacher had one of those motivational posters on the wall yep. and it said success. And I'll never forget the image on the poster was like this mansion on a cliff with a four car garage. And there was a Porsche, Lamborghini, a Ferrari and a Rolls Royce. I mean, Jesus, yep. this is what we're teaching first graders. Yeah. So experiencing directly what psychedelic medicine, what the message in there seems to be, I think is a significant antidote for a lot of the cultural messages that we receive simply as a matter of course growing up in this in this society. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, the aspirations that we teach people of what they should become to be successful are completely skewed to the 
commercial and monetary, which doesn't really add value. And, and the aesthetic result. too. And the aesthetic, right? And it mm -hmm. horribly affects people's self-esteem. And if you can get through that to recognize true value, mm -hmm. it's meaningful. Absolutely. So David, we are running out of time, but people who really want to explore this more, not just, you know, people in, of course, in Chicago should be able to contact you and love to get your address um, so people can do so. Sure. But people who want to prepare and think about taking a journey and taking these steps, what do you think is the first thing they should do? Um, probably just learn a little bit more about it. What's a good resource? Um, a great one that came out recently. Um, I don't have the book in front of me. Um, it's called the Psychedelic Handbook, written by Rick Strassman, who is yeah. very well known for the spirit yep. molecule um, DMT experiments. Yeah. Um, he wrote this really great sort of um, layman's handbook about all the different compounds that, not all of them, literally, but the yeah. primary popular compounds that are being used in, in different psychedelic circles. Um, right. And you don't have to read it cover to cover. It's a reference, but it's, but it's thin and easily accessible. You can just oh, my friend told me they're going to try MDMA therapy. I don't know what that is. Let me go to the chapter on MDMA. Right. But he has the whole breakdown of the chemistry and the effects and the uh, potential therapeutic benefit and the historical and cultural use. And it's 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 just like a really good all-in-one little, little volume that he put out. Very, very useful. Um, an online resource that I still refer people to is Arrowid. Um E-R-O-W-I-D. I think it's arrowid.org. Um, and it's funny because it looks like the website was from like the early days of the internet and they haven't like updated <laughs> the, the software. Right? But there's a lot of really useful and really accurate information about all different kinds of psychedelics, including a number of uh, first person accounts or trip reports. Those so are that you can sort of, for yeah, to manage their expectations and to learn a little bit more about the good and the bad, the dark and the light of yep. uh, the psychedelic experience. All right. Well, David, we are we have run out of time, which is unfortunate. It's been really interesting. Uh, people who want to contact you, how should they do so? Email is the best way. David Schwartz Therapy at gmail.com. S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z. Um, feel free to reach out. The many, many, many people reach out. Um, and most of the people who reach out to me inquiring about psychedelics are not people I end up working with because they're looking for like me to give them medicine and to sit sure. with them, which is not something that I do. Um, but I'm, 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 you know, happy to have a 10 minute conversation with somebody to help point them in the right direction. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us today on High Unhealthy. And sure thing, Richard. Thanks sure. so much for having me. Thank you. And thanks to everybody for listening. I'm Richard Zwicky and we'll be back again with you shortly.